morning. <laughs> well, it's been an interesting week, hasn't it? Wow. So many things are happening. So many things are happening. And the Lord has just flooded me um, these past weeks and months, I'm sure, with, as with all of you, with just so much intercession and revelation and direction on what to do in these times. And so I just want to share some of that with everybody this morning. And I'm sure that some of it, you know, God's going to confirm it to your hearts and you're going to say, yes, that's what the Lord's been sharing with me too. And um, before I forget, which I probably would, if I don't say it right now, um, tomorrow night, Monday night, 630, we're going to have prayer here at the church for our election. Um, before we get started, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we are so honored to be able to come before you because we know that you are God and King over all creation. And that if we lift our voice to you with humble hearts, that you will hear us and that you will answer our prayers. And Lord, we come before you today with that kind of faith and that hope that, Lord, you will lead us in paths of righteousness for your name's sake, and that you will help us. And Lord, we cry out for your help today, that you would remember us as your children, that you would love us, that you would bring us before you, and that you would fight on our behalf as we have prayed. Lord, we will do our part as you show it to us, but we ask you to do your part. And Lord, I pray now that you would help us all together as a congregation to get the message that you want us to receive today. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, I don't even know what to call this. Our God is king of creation. I guess that's a good place to start. Um, I want to lay a little groundwork here, and I think this is important to be able to see where we are today and where God wants to take us. So let's begin. God created us. Not everybody believes that, but of course we do. God sits as king upon his throne and rules over creation. This is true right now, at this very moment. It was true pre-creation, and it will always be true. He sits on a throne, and he rules over creation. But we sometimes have a hard time thinking about that, thinking about him like that. God loves his creation. We are his children, but we're also his subjects, his servants, and his citizens. We make up the population of his kingdom. So we're, we're all of those things. Does God have a kingdom? We are his kingdom, his creation. God is holy. This is his personhood. Within the Godhead Trinity, he is congruent. He does not strive. He is holy. He is fully congruent. And I know we've talked about some of these things before, but just bear with me. I'm going to hopefully... Perfect peace originates and emanates from his personhood and consumes his environs. So God, God when, we do, um, when we pray, we say, our Father who art in heaven, our, he is heaven. The only reason there is a heaven is because he's there. 
Our Father who art in heaven, he completely consumes the environs of heaven with his presence and his peace. And there is no one that can war against him. God does not war as we, as we know it. He has no peer, and therefore no one is capable of overpowering him. Therefore, as the creator of creation, he reigns, reigns supreme. He is Lord, and he is king, and he is supreme. And no one, war, no one has the power to war against him. As king of creation, God personally wrote with his own finger the governmental document that all of creation must abide by. This is not an option. Although much in the creation believes that it's an option, it is not an option. Satan believes it's an option. Those who follow him believe it's an option, but it is not optional. He is king, he rules over creation, and with his own finger, he wrote the laws of his creation. He didn't, he, we, well, we'll read it here. The Ten Commandments. This document lays forth the laws of the kingdom. And in Deuteronomy 5, and let me apologize here because I did want to get here and give the uh, scriptures to the group. But um, there was a lot going on this morning. And that didn't happen even though I got here early. So you guys just bear with me. Let's put on our thinking caps and let's listen. This is the Living Bible, Deuteronomy 5. Verses 2, I'm going to skip around a little bit, but we'll start there. The Lord our God made a contract with you at Mount Horeb, not with your ancestors, but with you who are alive here today. This is Moses speaking to Israel. He spoke with you face to face from the center of the fire there at the mountain. And then I'll go down. This is what he said. I am Jehovah, your God, who rescued you from slavery in Egypt. Never worship any God but me. Never make idols. Don't worship images, whether of birds, animals, or fish. You shall not bow down to any images or worship them. Hang in there with me. I am the Lord your God. I'm a jealous God, and I will bring the curse of the father's sins upon the third and fourth generation of the children who hate me, but I will show kindness to a thousand generations, to those who love me and keep my commands. You must never use my name to make a vow that you don't intend to keep. I will not overlook that. And I want to say here that as a king, see, he's, he's, trying, to, he's trying to get his people to understand here. I mean, He's, he's setting forth who he is through the nation of Israel because we didn't have a grid for him. We didn't understand him. And he's setting it forth through his nation. And he's saying, don't take my name in vain. I'm a king. This is a serious matter. You do not use my name unless, you know, don't do it in vain. I am a king. And we wouldn't do that with anybody. We wouldn't, you know, take any, any president's name in vain and say, well, you know, whatever, just treat it flippantly. Sorry about that. Um, keep the Sabbath day holy. This is my command. Work the other six days, but the seventh day is a Sabbath unto the Lord. And then we go down, honor your mother and your father. Remember, this is a commandment of the Lord. If you do so, you will have a long and prosperous life. You must not murder. You must not commit adultery. You must not steal, and you must not tell lies. You must not burn with desire for another man's wife, nor envy him for his home, his land, his servants, his oxen, his donkeys, or anything else he owns. 
The Lord has given these laws to each one of you from the heart of fire, surrounded by the clouds and thick darkness that engulfed Mount Sinai. Those were the only commandments he gave you at that time, and he wrote them out on two stones. He wrote them out and gave them to you. So, now that Israel is learning about God, and, we're, and we have learned about God through Israel, because God has educated the earth through the nation of Israel. And we're going to look at that a little bit more as we move on. Now that, now that we're learning about God or have learned about God, we understand that every creature who desires a personal and benevolent audience with God, who is king, must first be a law-abiding servant. Conversely, the creature who is a lawbreaker endangers the peace. You know, I've got a little bit of an echo up here. I'm trying to work through it, but... The creature who is a lawbreaker endangers the peace and safety of the citizens of creation by his selfish and criminal acts. This person is an anti-force and an agent of war and treason against the rule of, of God and his law. So God is saying, this is who I am. This is my kingdom. This is, this is the government of my kingdom is embodied in the Ten Commandments. If you break these laws, you're warring against the peace of my kingdom. And if you war against the peace of my kingdom, my wrath and my sword hang over you. Now think about it. If you're a king and someone is terrorizing the people in your kingdom, your wrath, your sword will be over them. Right? And so he's saying, you start breaking the laws of my kingdom, my wrath is over you. And Jesus even said that. He said, the, the wrath of God is already on them because they have not believed in me. So we cannot get away from these. These are the facts of who God is. And we've got kingdoms on the earth, and they help us to understand a little bit what a king is and, you know, how he does things. But the, but the true king is God. And so he's requiring that all kings rule righteously. Or there will be his wrath over them. So he's giving them the model and he's saying, I am the king of kings. This is how I rule my kingdom through love. These are the commandments that I require of my people. And if you're a king and you're ruling and you do not rule in, with the, in this way and you you have my wrath over you as a king. Um, let's read Deuteronomy. He says, all, and, and Moses, when he was talking to the people and he was telling them about God's laws, he says, you can't break these laws. Deuteronomy 29, let no one blithely think, and this is the, um, the Living Bible, when he hears the warnings of this curse, and he had just told them all the curses that were going to come on them as a nation if they broke God's laws. So the natural first and then the spiritual, we see through Israel the things that God wants to teach us. He's teaching us through Israel. He says, now don't think when you hear these curses, I shall prosper even though I walk in my own stubborn way. For the Lord will not pardon. His anger and his jealousy will be hot against that man and all the curses written in this book shall lie heavily upon him and the Lord will blot out his name from under heaven. The Lord will separate that man from all the tribes of Israel to pour out upon him all the curses which are recorded in this book that befall those who break this contract. 
then your children and your generations to come and the foreigners that pass by from distant, distant lands shall see the devastation of the land and the diseases that the Lord will have sent. And they will say, why has the Lord done this to the land? And the nations will ask, why was he so angry? And they will be told, because the people of the Lord broke the contract they, that made with them by Jehovah. Wow. So those who break God's laws and thus violate the peace of his domain, which is creation, are automatically under a curse and the wrath of God. Ephesians, you guys, you guys still with me? This, this, all right. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. It's a lot of scripture here, so can we wrap our mind around it? Once you were under God's curse, doomed forever for your sins, you went along with the crowd and you were just like the others, full of sin, obeying Satan, the mighty prince of the power of the air, who is at work right now in the hearts of those who are against the Lord. All of us used to be just as they are. Our lives expressing the evil within us, doing every wicked thing that our passions or our evil thoughts might lead us into. We started out bad being born with evil natures and were under God's judgment like everyone else. But God is so rich in mercy, he loved us so much that even though we were spiritually dead and doomed by our sins, he gave us back our lives again when he raised Christ from the dead by his undeserved favor have we been saved. And he lifted us up from the grave into the glory along with Christ where we sit with him in heavenly realms because of what Christ did. And now God can always point to us examples of how very rich is his kindness that is shown to us through Christ. And then we see in the book of Revelation, which is New Testament, so is Ephesians, we see in the book of Revelation, the nations were angry with you, 1118. But now, and this is talking about Jesus, but now it is your turn to be angry with them. It is time to judge the dead and reward your servants, the prophets and people alike, and all who fear your name, both great and small, to destroy those who have caused destruction upon the earth. And then in heaven, verse 19, the temple of God was opened and the Ark of His Covenant. What was in the Ark of the Covenant? The Ten Commandments, the laws of God. And the Ark of His Covenant could be seen inside. Lightning flashed, thunder crashed, and roared, and there was a great hailstorm, and the world was shaken. And then in Revelation 19, from his mouth goes forth a sharp sword with which he can smite, afflict, and strike the nations. And he will shepherd and control them with a staff, a scepter, and a rod of iron. This is amplified. And he will tread the winepress of his fierceness of the wrath and indignation of God, the all-ruler, the almighty, the omnipotent. So you see, God hasn't changed his mind. He's still the same yesterday, today, and forever. He has told us who he is. He has laid it out for us in the nation of Israel so that everyone understood it. He parked them in the neighborhood at that time in the Middle East, in the navel of the earth, in the center of the world, so that he could model his ways to all the nations around so that they could watch. When he, came, when he brought them out of Egypt, he judged the Egyptians, he judged everyone around them because they were idol worshipers. And he said, now this is what's going to happen. This is a preview of things to come. This is how it works with me. If you war against me and you war against the peace of creation, my wrath hangs over your head. If you do this, 
you are not going to get away with it. Men say, well, God isn't judged, you know, God's not doing anything, where's God at? And they think they're getting away with something. But we're not getting away with anything. And especially when it comes to nations, we can come to the Lord and repent as people. And the Lord covers our sins as far as the east is from the west, never more to be remembered. But at, when a nation starts spilling blood, and when a king of a nation starts acting like devouring his people, murdering them, passing laws against them. God takes that seriously because those are his children. We, we can't get away with that. We can't spill blood and God won't see it. We see in Daniel when, um, I think it was Daniel 7, when the, um, Daniel was watching as the Antichrist um, was brought before the Ancient of Days and thrown, and thrown in hell. But some of the nations survived. So we see that God's going to judge all the nations. He's going to judge them all at the end day, in the end times, whether they're goat or sheep nations. And we're going to talk a little bit more about that as well. Um, Hebrews. How are we doing? But you have come right up into, this is 12. Mount Zion to the city of the living God, the heavenly Jerusalem, and to the gathering of countless happy angels, and to the church composed of all those registered in heaven, and to God who is the judge of all, and to the spirits of the redeemed in heaven already made perfect, and to Jesus himself who has brought us his wonderful new agreement, to the sprinkled blood which graciously forgives instead of crying out for vengeance like the blood of Abel did. See to it that you obey him who is speaking to you. For if the people of Israel did not escape, this is New Testament, when they refused to listen to Moses, the earthly messenger, how terrible our danger if we refuse to listen to God who speaks to us from heaven. When he spoke from Mount Sinai, his voice shook the earth. Next time, he says, I will not only shake the earth, but the heavens also. And by this, he means that he will sift out everything without solid foundations so that only unshakable things will be left. Amen. Since we have a kingdom nothing can destroy, let us please God by serving him with thankful hearts and holy fear and awe. Our God is a consuming fire. So right now, kings are in the crucible of testing. We know in the scripture, of course, I can't get into all of this. We'd have to teach it for a week. We know in scripture that um, <clears throat> at the end of the age that God is going to judge everything and shake everything that can be shaken. And I forgot, my, I forgot my point. But let's go through this and maybe it'll come back. Through Israel, kings have been educated on the appropriate posture of a civil leader. The historical refer, um, record in um, the Bible is full of examples of good versus evil kings and God's actions. As a God, God, ex God expects that a king will promote safety, peace, and goodwill toward his citizens and use his power to keep peace in his environs. Anyone who schemes against the peace is considered an agent of war. On the other hand, if a king wars against his own people, devouring them, robbing them, squandering their taxes, that safety and security are compromised, allowing lawlessness, depravity, terrorism, this king has violated his nation and become to them a destroyer and a murderer who is unfit to rule. But who will stop him? They're all over the place. George was just telling us about this. They're, they're all over the place. 
Psalms 115:16 The heavens belong to the Lord but he has given the earth to all mankind. Even more serious, if any a king allows or influences injustice against God's people or if he spills the blood of the righteous, he has the sword of God over him. But who will be the judicator for God? Who will go to the throne of God and say this is a sin, this is wrong? They have broken your law. Who has the governmental authority to bind and loose on the earth? To declare the decisions of heaven and have those verdicts upheld with the full force of, he of heaven. The heavens belong to the Lord, but he's given the earth into the hands of men. Many kings on the earth are ruling like beasts. They have no fear of God and they are void of concern or benevolence for the citizens they oversee. But who will serve them legal notice that they have broken the laws of God and he is now summoning them to repent and seek his mercy or receive wrath. Who's going to do that? So, God has prophets in the Old Testament. These are his legitimate governmental officials on the earth who communicate his law, exhort the lawbreaker to cease and desist, and then call upon God to intervene in judgment when there is no repentance. And we see God's do, prophets doing that all, of the, all the time in the Old Testament. If we never see another prophet in our day, we have the living words of the Old Testament prophets brooding over the earth, speaking to us today and adjudicating all cases of lawlessness. I maintain that God could proceed to finish this age in total righteousness and justice, based solely on the biblical record and without our help. Amen. However, we have the opportunity to join in the story and participate with our brothers and saints and prophets of all history and to stand on their shoulders as we take up the mantle of ruling and reigning with Christ. Ephesians 2, 6, he raised, us together, he raised us up together with him and made us sit down together, giving us joint seating with him, Jesus Christ, in the heavenly sphere by virtue of our being in Christ Jesus, the Messiah, the anointed. We find that this is an unbroken chain. We have all these people out there saying that's the Old Testament, this is the New Testament, we shouldn't, you know, that doesn't apply to today. As if God had mental illness. Really, I, I, you know, I got to this certain place in history and I changed my ways. I decided, you know, all that stuff I did before, you know, I need to be a better, kinder, gentler person and all that. So I'm gonna, I'm, I've decided I'm going to be the God of love now. He's always been the God of love. But he, was, but he was training us and showing us who he is through Israel and through the Old Testament. And he was training us then and he was saying, look, it would be evil of me to leave evil in creation for all time. I'm training you. I put you in a little tiny earth in a closed system that whatsoever you sow, and sow you shall reap so that you can understand the power that I have given you in your free will. And I'm training you and I'm showing you, but at the end of the day, you have free will, but at the end of the day, your, your time limit, you have a time limit. You're not going beyond it. The Lord knows the day and the hour. And when that time limit comes, anyone who is still a lawbreaker has my wrath hanging over them. 
This is the way it is because I am a God of peace. I am congruent. I am holy. And there will be no one that will last forever and ever ruling and reigning and, and knocking you on the head with their evil. It's not going to happen. We're going to stop it at a certain point and we're going to move on. So, Enoch influenced Noah, who influenced Abraham, who influenced Moses, who influenced Isaiah, who influenced Jeremiah, who influenced Daniel, who influenced John. They all carried the same message. Each time they spoke, it was a continuation of the message that God gave in the garden. I'm going to bring you a deliverer. This thing's going to be made right. He's got a continuous Continuous message. So, how will we carry the historical and legal message of God if we have no knowledge of it? How many know their godly ancestors? I'm speaking to uh, I'm speaking to the choir here, really, but we know that this goes out. Um, how many know their godly ancestors? Who were these righteous saints, and what did they leave us? The devil told us the Old Testament is is then, but now we're in the age of grace. But God says, I chose Abraham because he would tell his children about me. And he commanded Moses and the newly established nation of Israel to tell their children and grandchildren the stories of their history and to never forget. Deuteronomy 4, 9. Only take heed to yourself and diligently keep yourself, lest you forget the things your eyes have seen, and lest they depart from your heart all the days of your life, and teach them to your children and your grandchildren, especially concerning the day that you stood before the Lord in Horeb. Gather... Uh, and then the Lord said to me, gather the people to me and let them hear my words that when they may learn to fear me all the days they live on the earth and that they may teach their children. So, but yet here we are largely ignorant of our history and we've disconnected ourselves from the Old Testament because the devil told us we should. You know, when we lose our memory of our family, we go backwards. A parent who has dementia, what a deep loss. All that we've done and built together just vanishes in the ether. They don't remember it. Likewise, in America, our children don't know that our forefathers came from religious persecution and dedicated the land to God. We don't know they rebelled against King George, a tyrant, who sent swarms of officers to wear them down and eat out their sustenance. The federal government, through its programs of re-education, has told us it's not important to teach American history or civics. In both instances, not knowing our spiritual heritage and our history and our natural, we have been cut off, and instead of building upwards and coming into the fullness of maturity in time, we start over with each new generation. We are eternally immature and juvenile. And I asked the Lord in prayer one day, how do we hasten the day of your coming? And I looked that up, and to hasten. We really could hasten. I looked it up, some of the commentators. We really could. I said, how do we do that? Um, uh, here's one of the commentators from Second Peter 3.12. Not that God's time is changeable, but God appoints us as instruments of accomplishing those events which must first be done before the day can come. By praying for his coming, furthering the preaching of the gospel as a witness for all nations, and bringing in those to whom the long-suffering of God waits to save, we hasten the coming of the day of God. Christ says, surely, I come quickly. Amen. And our part is to say, even so, Lord, come quickly. So how do we hasten his day? 
We cooperate with, the ancient, with what the Ancient of Days is doing. If we understand the foundation that God has laid through Israel, through the Old Testament, through the Ten Commandments, through showing himself, I'm a king, build me this tabernacle, I'm going to be back there behind the curtain, you're not going to be able to come in until you clean yourself up because you're not going to walk in here filthy. And you're not going to walk into my presence like that. You're going to clean yourself up. And you're, the blood, which spoke of Jesus Christ, and all of that. And so he taught them. He said, I'm a king. I sit on a mercy seat. Completely radical. No other kings at that time sat on mercy seats. They were demon kings. They, they worshiped demons. And he said, this is who I am. This is how you approach me. This is my kingdom. These are the laws. This is my culture. This is how things are done. He's showing himself how, how he's a king. So we have to understand the foundations he's laid. And then we have an overview of his, hearts, his, his heart, his law, and his actions. And then we need to know the prophecies of our spiritual ancestors that are brooding over the earth right now for fulfillment. Who are these people? We have their DNA. We have their spiritual DNA. We need to know what they had to say. And they never came up with anything new, ever. If you look at um, Jeremiah, Jeremiah had actually been studying Isaiah, and he was just repeating some of the stuff that he heard. And he was building line upon line, precept upon precept. And Daniel comes along, and he repeats what Jeremiah was saying. And then John comes along, the apostle, and he's repeating what they're all saying. We've got to know our prophetic history. If we hearken to these foundational things, we can cooperate with God as his agents in the earth, and therefore we can stand in his courtroom and ask for justice. Then we will be the true sons of Issachar, knowing the times and what God's people ought to do. And that just, I never could figure that out. And it's really so simple. Are you, do you understand your history? Do you understand where you came from? Do you understand who God is and what he's been doing in the earth through all this time? If you do, then you will know what he's doing today. You will be the sons of Issachar. Not a special group. You and me right here, little old us, being the sons of Issachar. If we don't bring these things to mind, we're like ignorant children tossed to and fro while Satan arrogantly smirks that he's got extra time to kill, steal, and destroy. So, examples of justice brought to earth. So, Elijah. We all know the, the Elijah story. This is, this is really the age we're in today. He recognized God as king absolute. He obviously knew the law written by God's finger and the blessings and curses that Moses laid out, which everyone took an oath to follow. And looking at the rebellion and lawlessness, he could see the sword of wrath hanging over his people. And that's what spurred him. Surely it was uncomfortable to think about foreign nations raiding, killing, raping, but that's what the curses were that were laid out. Go and read them. They're awful. So being a governmental man, as, as Elijah was, a governmental man, understanding the government of God, under, he understood, we are getting ready to be in big trouble. 
because our king and queen, Ahab and Jezebel, have temples to Baal and Ashtoreth. They're sacrificing children. They're probably having blood sacrifices. They're um, temple prostitution. And it's, it's all been nationalized. And he's looking at them and he's saying, wait a minute. These are, you people know God's law. Don't you understand that the sword of wrath is hanging over your heads? And he went to Ahab and he said, you know what? He laid it out before Ahab as a governmental man so that Ahab could understand it. And he said, you've broken the law. This is what you've done. It's not going to rain until I say so. And it didn't rain for three years. And, you know, sometimes we won't listen until stuff gets really hard. I know when, through in my own life, the crucible, the crushing that happens in the crucible, boy, it woke me up like nothing else. Nothing else. But we won't listen sometimes. And those, those people, they were, they were in desperate shape. They were about ready to starve. Remember, Elijah went to that widow woman and said, hey, get, cook me a little cake, would you? Well, I don't have any. As God is my witness, I'm going to take this little bit of flour that I do have and make a little cake, and my son and I are going to go die. I mean, the famine in the land that came from no rain was very, very severe. But what he did was he set the stage. And then after the people were ready to listen, he went back to the king and he said, bring everybody up to Mount Carmel, including all those wicked priests, and we're going to see who's God. But first he had to lay it out legally. He had to lay the case out. So we know what happened there. He got their attention. And when he went to see Ahab, by the way, here's what Ahab said to him. Then it happened when Ahab saw Elijah that Ahab said to him, Is that you, O troubler of Israel? And he answered, I have not troubled Israel, but you and your father's house have in that you have forsaken the commandments of the Lord. Bottom line. So on Mount Carmel, Elijah builds a proper altar and prays. This was a judicial act of repentance and humility by a governmental leader that understood the nature of the crimes and the corresponding punishment. Fire fell, people fell under the fear of God, the wicked were killed, and the king ran home. And, of course, we know that he prophesied, Elijah prophesied the death of Ahab and Jezebel, and they did eventually die, and their blood was licked up by the dogs. And uh, Jehu came along and killed all the king's sons and all the king's friends, and judgment came. You know, in the book of Daniel, well, in the book of Isaiah, Isaiah prophesied 150 years before Cyrus was born. And he said, Cyrus is going to come. But then Daniel had to go before the Lord and pray for that change in seasons. He had to, as a governmental official in this kingdom of God, Daniel was a governmental official, he was a prophet, as a governmental official in the kingdom of God, and he was also a governmental official in the natural, he had to go and pray for a release for things to happen in the spiritual realm so that Cyrus could come to the throne. So Cyrus is out there. He's waiting, 
But he can't come to the throne until Daniel prays the governmental prayer that releases him into the earth and the plans of God into the earth. And here's a king that doesn't know God, but yet he's a king that is going to do benevolent things. He's three of the things he said he did. He, he stopped terrorism. He gave the people safety. He let them worship the way they wanted to worship. I mean, he was a benevolent king. And I'm sure that meeting some of these people that he met, some of these Jews, he began to get a picture of God. And, and who knows what happened? He was learning in the crucible, just like Nebuchadnezzar did under Daniel when God drove him out into the wilderness and said, you're a beast. You are a beast, and I'm going to make you a beast until you recognize that I am king. And, of course, he did, but he had Daniel to interpret it for him. So, the natural governments of the earth cannot achieve what the spiritual government of God can. We can, we can hope all day that we're going to vote the right people in and they're going to do the right things. But they cannot accomplish what we must accomplish. God can raise up a Cyrus for us and he can be over here waiting. But we, as the governmental people of God, must pray judicially before the throne of God, presenting ourselves holy, covered in the blood of Jesus, presenting our petitions before him in humility, honoring him and praying and asking him to please, please release justice for us. Just as Esther did before the king, there we, we know that story. They were, they were, um, Haman was already built the gallows, was going to hang Mordecai on it. And then the decree was already put out into the land that they got to kill all the Jews on a particular day. And she went before him and she petitioned him to please not allow this to happen. And remember, he did, he did sign another law into effect. And he said, on that day, you can defend yourself. And every time I think of that story, the Lord's been giving me that story a lot. I think about us Americans, and I feel like I'm just going to say it, and I, and I hope I'm wrong. I feel like no matter what happens and which president we get, we're going ha to have some calamity. My prayer is that we have a benevolent king on the throne. If we can just have a benevolent king, he can learn, he can understand who God is in the, crucible, in the crucible of crisis, just like Lincoln did. That's my prayer. All right. How do we obtain justice today? Second Chronicles 7, 13 through 15. When I shut up heaven and there is no rain or command the locusts to devour the land, or send pestilence among my people, if my people, who are called by my name, will humble themselves, and pray, and seek my face, and turn from their wicked ways, then I will hear from heaven, and will forgive their sin, and heal their land. God's children are his government agents on the earth. It is expected that we understand that God is king, and we are his children, his agents, our posture must be humility, our hearts must be purified in repentance, 
that our pleas for mercy should come from a firm belief in the blood of Jesus, the word of God, God's heart toward us, and God's work in the earth to shake everything that can be shaken so that everyone has an opportunity to, to repent. So, salt and light in the earth. I've heard this one a lot. Well, there's nobody any good to, to vote for. If you're a citizen, maybe not all of you are, but if you're a citizen of the United States of America, you are the ones who give power to your government. The Constitution says, we the people of the United States of America. You are the official authority in this land. And if you do not vote, then we have no reason, you have no reason to complain. We are the salt and light in the earth. And I believe that God wants to raise us up in positions of government in the earth, in, real, in, in, in natural government and spiritual government. He wants to raise us up in, in both of those positions. And he wants us to be a voice, just like Daniel was a voice before the king. And just like um, Nehemiah and Esther and all of those that have gone before us, he wants us to be a voice. So the lazy servant looked at the power of God and his omniscience and decided that God will do what he wants, so he disengaged and waited. And God called him a wicked and lazy servant and threw him into outer darkness. Jesus said, the unjust judge eventually gave the woman justice. Remember the woman that kept coming to him? And he was not even a godly man. And he gave her justice because she would not give up. Luke 18. This is the New Living Bible. One day Jesus told his disciples a story to illustrate their need for constant prayer and to show them that they must keep praying until the answer comes. There was a city judge, he said, a very godless man who had great contempt for everyone, and the widow of that city came to him frequently to appeal for justice. The judge ignored her for a while, but eventually she got on his nerves. He said, I fear neither God nor man, but this woman bothers me, and I'm going to see that she gets justice for she's wearing me out with her constant coming. And then the Lord said... If even an evil judge can be worn out like that, don't you think that God will surely give justice to his people who plead with him day and night? Yes, and he will answer them quickly. But the question is, when I, the Messiah, return, how many will I find that have faith and who are praying? And, of course, we know that the Bible says if we back down and have no courage... Cowards will not make it into heaven. We're called to be salt and light. We're called to be the elders in the gate. Think of the, New, the Old Testament. The elders in the gate, every contract that was made in that city, they saw those contracts. We had a contract made in our city here in Wilkesboro, if you live here. And that contract affected every one of us. It was a harassing contract that was intended to eat out our sustenance. And I went before the um, board the county commissioner's board, they gave me a special meeting and the attorney who signed the contract. And I explained to him that he failed in his duty to protect me as a citizen of this county with that contract, which was an unjust contract. And they rescinded it and they broke the contract. We need elders in the gates that will talk to these things, 
that will be people out there. We have the laws on the books. Paul said, I, we got some laws on the books. I'm a Roman citizen. You can't do this to me. We still have some laws on the books that we can go and we can say, you're not going to do this. This is wrong and I'm calling you to accountability on this. As, as a hired servant of the sovereign citizens of the United States from which you receive your paycheck, this is wrong. But we've got to do that. We've got to engage. And how many of us are willing to do that? We've been so comfortable. We've been so comfortable. We're called to be watchmen on the walls, informed of what is happening inside and outside of our walls, protecting and warning all so that we can be safe in our lands and our homes. Think of the Old Testament again. Think of the Israelites. Watchmen on the walls. We need people who are watching what's going on. What's going on on the outside, what's going on on the inside, bringing it to the attention of any of, of our governmental leaders or whoever else needs to hear it so that we can pray. But the prayer comes from us. We go before the Lord recognizing he's king. He has ten commandments. And his sword is over anyone, any nation, any person who is not following those commandments. We go to him and we ask for his justice. And then we watch him move. And, of course, as disciples of Christ, we are called to model and defend the laws of God, which are laws that make for our prosperity and safety. And if we engage in anti-acts of war against God by lying, cheating, coveting, backbiting, we put ourselves in danger of the wrath of God and we bring reproach on the name of God. We can't do it anymore. All those things that George was talking about that's coming on the world, they're at our door. Right now, we're in an epic moment, I believe, and this is where I'll end. I feel like the Lord told me this about this. Reminded me of um, Josiah, who stood before the people, and he, they had the Passover. He called everybody to the city after he killed all the false prophets, freaked everybody out. But he called them all to Jerusalem and said, we're going to have a Passover together. And he had the scribes read the law of Moses to the people. And they all went, we have the sword of God hanging over our heads. And they all committed themselves to serve the Lord and obey his laws. And the Lord was watching. I'm convinced of this. The Lord was watching those people that day whose heart had really repented and turned. Because that very generation that was standing there that day, that is the very generation that... Babylon, the Babylonian army came in and destroyed the city and took them captive, killed them, raped them. And the remnant that survived were actually pulled out in advance. Daniel, he was taken out on the first raid. Ezekiel taken out on the second raid. So God was watching them that day. Who will I save? And I believe God is watching us. We are in an epic moment. Josiah had a tender heart. He cried out to the Lord, and the prophetess said to him, The Lord says to you, Surely I will gather you to your fathers, and you shall be gathered to your grave in peace, and your eyes shall not see all the calamity that I bring on this place. So he was able to push it back a little bit. So, maybe we can push some things back. Maybe we'll undergo some smaller judgments. We'll have to engage and fight. 
Perhaps we survive as a nation. That is my prayer. And we push judgment down the road. I, my feeling is that when it comes to nations, that nations, the thrust will be burned out of nations. It will be. But my prayer is we can push it down the road so that my kids and my grandkids can grow up. And we have to engage. We have to engage culture. We have to get out there and we have to tell the truth. We have to be Elijah. We have to be Jeremiah. And we have to tell it. We have to tell the truth. And we have the laws on the books. We can do this. But we've got to start doing it. And, and we, we really, we need, to, we need to vote. We need to vote because I believe Cyrus is waiting in the wings. And God is watching us in this moment to see what our hearts are, are going to do and what we're going to do. And whether we care. And that will determine where we are on the other side of this should calamity come. But I believe as a nation... If I understand the Old Testament and I understand the ways of God and I understand the New Testament and the book of Revelation, as a nation, we have spilled blood and we are going to be judged. But I'm asking for smaller judgments in times of repentance.